Hi, this is Brendan Davis from Bedrock Games and the Bedrock Blog, and I'm here with Joel Clark for another episode of Wuxia Workshop. And today we're talking about Finger of Doom, a 1972 film starring Ivy Ling Po, and it's directed by uh, Bao Shu Li, whose name I hope I pronounced correctly. Um, he has done a, a lot of movies uh, that I think we've talked about on the on the podcast before, but the uh, the most famous one that people have talked about recently on Twitter, I'm sure, is The Battle Wizard. And another one that he's known for is The Delightful Forest, um, which I think he co-directed with Cheng Chad. I, I'm not exactly clear on 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 the on the details of that. But also The Boxer from Shang Tung, which is um, uh, a, a really great movie and another sort of, uh, you know, co-direction with Cheng Chad. Um, and The Shadow Boxer, I think, was another one that he did. So, um, so yeah, so why don't we... Uh, 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 get right into it right now, Joel. What, what, uh, you hadn't seen this movie before and no, it's the first time for me and I, I've seen it. And I, I, and so one thing I want to say about this film before we start is it's really hard to get. We had to get it on video, uh, VCD, like a video, video disc type thing, like the little tiny ones that you, that come in like a compact disc player. It's, I think it's a video compact disc is what it's called. And, uh, and the image quality on them is not that great. You tend to get a lot of pixelization and you get like a, even like on a big screen TV, like I have, you get like a little tiny band-aid image on the screen. So it's really small, um, which is actually merciful because of the pixelization. If it was higher uh, or pixelation, whatever, whatever the, the damn word. Is. I think it's pixelization. I think okay. you got there. Okay. So, um, but but uh but so just be aware if you want to get this movie it's really hard to get on DVD you're probably going to have to settle for the the VCD which is going to be a slightly inferior image quality but it's worth seeing I think because it's a really different type of wuxia movie and 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 that brings us to to Joel which is I want to get Joel's opinion on the movie because he's seen it for the first time today so what did you think uh, well I like this movie it's very creepy and in fun it's actually got a really strong like horror movie vibe. Uh, several times while I was watching it, I was reminded of your the point you usually come back to with Wuxia, which is that you can't really fit it inside a little box. Uh, this is very much a Wuxia movie. There's no doubt about that. It's yeah. got, I mean, like, there's clans and factions and all this stuff fighting, and there's there's all these wonderful little intrigues. All the, all the hallmarks of Wuxia are there. And it is also 100% a horror story where the dead walk and people can get mind controlled through their chi meridians, and there's all this poison and people die in the sunlight it's it's really eerie uh so so i i enjoyed this movie quite a bit it's it's really a fun fun little movie and uh one of the things that struck me about it really strongly was this is a very patient movie this movie circles you like a tiger the whole time you just like you got this feeling of apprehension waiting for the waiting for the strike to happen so that was that was really cool they, they really drew this one out like a knife which made it really really uh, tense and, and kind of uh, unsettling to watch. Mm. Yeah, no, and so, um, you know, it's, it's a very interesting movie. Like, like Joel said, it's, it's shot like a horror movie, right? It's got kind of like a Hammer Studios vibe to it. Or, you know, even a universal vibe at times. It just has that really sort of classic, atmospheric, horror movie filmed on a set type type look to it. And that works really well with Shaw Brothers. I mean, there are other movies that are more indicative of that, you know, there's even a, a co-production with uh, Hammer Studios at one point, but but this one, it, it feels like it, it's inspired by a lot of those kind of films, and and that does get us. I think the main 
sort of topic that we're probably going to talk about today, which is just how porous Usha can be. How it, and and I think that's really true of any genre because, and th- I, this is something that we've talked about a lot in the program, but today I particularly want to talk about it. And and we are going to talk about Finger of Doom on Friday as well on Wusha Weekend. So we'll have a uh, we'll have plenty of time to talk more about the plot and stuff as well. But I think that liberates you and me to talk more about topics like this and gaming and things as well, uh, in addition to the plot. Um, but the, uh, the, I, I feel like with Wuxia, and I know I've said this a lot, that people really want to get a pure sort of, you know, they, they, they want to sort of distill Wuxia into like a pure form. Do you know what I mean? When they're, when they're, when they're like, you know, presenting a game or when they're, uh, you know, when they're talking about it or, you know, whatever. And I, I, I feel like that's kind of the worst thing you can do to any genre, uh at all you know what i mean like you uh, uh, genres wither and die when they don't have enough outside oxygen coming into them right because if you at a certain point all of the tropes in the genre get done to death and it just becomes boring because you know exactly what's going to happen and you know what i mean there's like a there's like a five or ten year window where a genre can a genre can sort of remain the same for about five or ten years and then it has to change or die right because it just yeah. becomes it just becomes dull, um, and well, that doesn't it doesn't have to mean radical change. It doesn't have to mean that they like upturn everything so that it's like the anti version of the genre itself. But you have to allow these external influences to come in, and and this is a movie where you see a lot of that. You see sort of how seamlessly the the horror elements are 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 weaved into the or woven into the the wuxia story. In a way that doesn't make it become not wuxia. Do you know what I mean? It it, it still remains a wuxia tale, um, because it still has to abide by the you know by the wuxia rules. It's just that they're bringing in these other these other these other things. Um, so I don't know. Did you, did you did, uh, any thoughts on that or any? Oh yeah, plenty. Um, I just. I'm trying to break the habit of interrupting you constantly, so I'm listening a little bit. I'm trying to break the habit of speaking constantly, because I feel like I, I speak a lot, so go ahead. We need, like, a gong. Yeah. <laughs> your, your talk time is over now. Um, no, anyway, so uh, so thoughts about this, which definitely earmarked the gong idea, by the way. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll make a note. We could pro- you know what we can do? We can get a little gong sound. That's that people can. Oh, yeah, we should. Yeah, gong. We'll, we'll put we'll put Dion in charge of it because I feel like she would be the most responsible user of the gong. Uh. Okay, so my, my thoughts on it. First of all, uh, yeah, I think we both agree that this is both a horror movie and a wuxia movie. Mm-hmm. And one of the things about that that I think that that is is interesting is that there's a strong argument from a purist perspective of it being either. Uh, like if you if you wanted to say this is a horror movie where they practice kung fu, that would be a true statement about it. Just as much as you could say this is a wuxia movie where there's horror elements that just yep. infuse the whole thing. So that's that's really neat. There's a, there's a really almost perfect balance of those elements because they never leave the tropes of wuxia. They never really go all the way into the supernatural with it. They I mean they stay within the the boundaries of the supernatural that. The, the tropes of wuxia allow for yeah the va- is, the vampires in the movie or the the yeah. the, un, the they're, undead the, the, they're they, vampires yeah they, they they abide by the rules that govern wuxia so there's an explanation w- that makes sense within wuxia for why these zombified guys are carrying around the beautiful women in the coffins 
yes, and there's a reason they're in the coffins, and that's also explained within the the way the supernatural elements of Wuxia work really nicely. Also, important note, uh, structurally in this movie, we as the audience don't get that explanation until almost the very end of the movie. So yep. it gets to be this creepy, mysterious thing all the way through, which actually reminded me a lot of Detective D when we were watching it. Uh, Detective D does that too, where you're really uncertain about the horror elements, yep. and then Detective D kind of scooby-doos them at the, in the last couple of scenes, and he's like, oh yeah, no, there is a lot of that going on in this movie, for sure. Um, and I think... I Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just clicking my teeth. Um, so, well, well, let's ask... Let's ask. Well, number one, I, we probably should kind of talk a little bit about the plot before we... Uh, you know, so people know what, what's going on. It, it's, 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 it's a really basic setup, but it's kind of an okay. interesting one. There's this... There's this... There's, there's this evil... Uh, this evil figure in the in the martial world. Um, I'll probably mispronounce her name, but I think it was Kung Soon Mao Nung. Is that right? Does that sound correct? That's somewhere in the neighborhood. Yeah, I think they only said it one time in the movie. Yeah, and well, I'm looking at the when they said it. My first thought was, I will never in my life be able to pronounce that correctly. Um, so go bad. But she has these golden claws, these like sleeves on her fingers that she wears, and she can use them to embed these pins in the back of people's heads, which enables her to control them. And, and they, they become kind of like her zombie minions. And so at the opening of the film, we see her do this to the four heroes of Dragon Hill who are lured there by one of the villains who's serving under this lady. There's, there's a guy, I think his name is Chin, and there's another guy who's a hunchback that is serving under her. So with the hunchback, you see, like, they're just porting in these horror tropes. Do you know what I mean? But, like, it, it works. It works really well. And so she, um, she is... Uh, you know she she is controlling people in this way, but she's actually from a uh, a broader sect. And the heroine of the movie, whose name we never know, by the way, um, because yeah, she's got a real Doctor Who thing on there. Well, it, it's a Doctor Who type thing, but it's interesting because the hero in the film, I think his name was like Heaven Sword Lou. Uh, he he yeah. He wa- the only thing he really wants over the course of the movie is her name. He wants to learn her name, and so that's it, it's kind of a plot point as well. It's sort of it's sort of a charming flirtation between the two characters but uh the ivy ling po character uh is uh is 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 a member of this cult and she's sent by her shifu to to track down the um the the kung sun mao nung character and and kill her basically so it's kind of like a five deadly venoms type situation except she's just sent out to kill the person who's you know causing havoc and uh and, and so it's it's an interesting premise, but it's quite simple. And then from there, the rest of the movie kind of flows. And there's a, a guy named Heaven Sword Lou and his two sworn brothers, and they get pulled into the plot through an, another channel. And eventually, Heaven Sword Lou and and the heroine team up together to deal with um, uh, with the the Kung Soon Mao Nung character. But what's interesting about the heroine is she's also a member of this cult, so she. Uh, she also sleeps in a coffin. She also has sleeves on her fingers, but they're silver. And she controls a bunch of guys. The big difference between her and the other one is that she strictly goes after people who are bad bad men, right? Like, she goes after people that are, like, yeah, rapists and killers. It's heavily implied that the technique doesn't even work if you're actually pure of heart, which is one of the reasons our, our hero isn't affected or isn't even targeted. It's just that he actually is basically a really decent fellow. And so... so. And so she, so she's, you know, so, so, but, but so, so there's these two creepy figures 
both of them female one of them is the villain one of them is the heroine and they both basically have the same mo except one of them is much more nefarious more of a sex maniac and just kind of more evil in general um and and so it's i don't know it's an interesting movie i i think i think that uh and it kind of it kind of has a uh, I don't know. It, it, I like the relationship between the heroine and Heaven's Sword Blue. I thought that worked really well. Um, yeah, all the characters are extremely well developed in this movie. Like, mm-hmm. it, like I said, the, the movie is it's it's a very tight scope, uh, which and I thought it was going to be a little bit bigger because one of the first scenes is we we see the uh, the heroine get embarking begin to embark on her journey, and it shows all the members of her sect and like this big broad shot. And so my my lizard brain was like, oh, we're going to see a lot of this. Yeah. Nope. It's just gonna it's gonna very narrowly focus, much like a horror movie does, yeah. on just these three brothers and what's going on with them and the resolution of this one little plot. Uh, so that and it, because it had that tight focus, every character that's introduced gets to have like their own little iconic scene. They get to have full development. You get to see like the whole breadth of them. It's really fantastic. Yeah, no, I, I I agree. It 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 uh, it, I, I and I think the 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 atmosphere is, is quite perfect in this movie. And again, oh, we're we're talking about a movie that we saw through the worst lens possible. We saw mm. it in the in the you know the video compact disc format, where you really have I mean you really have a hard time until your eye adjusts seeing the images the way that they're intended to be seen. I, I had um, to turn off every light in my house to watch this movie. Let yeah. me tell you, that was a good move in at least yeah. two ways. And, and and but but it still it still make, makes an impact even even though you know the format was was difficult. This is one I hope that they that they remaster and put out again because yeah, this uh, this movie deserves it. Uh, it's it's a really it's a really fun creepy little romp and like I kind of I've watched this the same way I'd watch Bela Lugosi's Dracula, you know, or like you said, like an old Universal horror movie. It's got that same eeriness. They even like use like a, a saw at some points to make that kind of like. Woo! Yeah, sound in the soundtrack, uh, which is a little bit cheesy, admittedly, but uh, I, I laughed it right up. I thought that was great, and it's um, it's a great vehicle for Ivy Ling Poe. I think. I mean, she's a, she's a, she's a really uh, really good Shaw Brothers actress, and you know th- this this movie, I feel like she was the best person to put in that role. Like she yeah, had the right sure. look and everything for this character. I, I felt. Mm-hmm. Nice creepy uh, presence. Yeah, yeah, she was fun. And uh, and also, it's it's. Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe. It, well, well I'll, I'll get into. I have another movie recommendation based on this one, but I'll, I'll get into that later. Um, did anything game like in terms of gaming? Did anything leap out at you with this with this film? Oh, oh man, yeah, definitely. The way their magic works with controlling people and all that. I loved that. Like the whole time they were explaining all the weird arcane rules to it. I was just like, ah, I want to put this in a game. Uh, because I, I love that because whenever you put something that's really, in, in this case in the movie, it was so powerful, it kind of defined the whole narrative, right? Yeah. When you put something like that in front of the players, their initial shock with it, when they don't really know anything about it, is like, how are we going to deal with this thing? This is so powerful, this is crazy magic thing. Yeah. But whenever they start to learn about the different rules and what have you, I like to see when my players do the same thing the characters did in this movie, which is they have that scene where they're kind of sitting down, like talking about it and comparing notes about how her powers work. And they make a little plan of action for, for how to deal with her. And I, I love whenever they treat the, the final encounters 
like a puzzle encounter. Like they've, they've got to yeah. think of different little advantages and little moves and counter moves because of the arcane way this magic works. That is like, mm, wow, that is beautiful game stuff right there. No, in fact, I did that. I uh, I had a, a player watch this movie, and he immediately wanted these abilities. And so I was working on a book <laughs> called Lady 87, The Sons of Lady 87. And I um, I I put together a similar type of thing with, with its own ground rules and sort of a uh, you know an evil an evil master who's in charge of the uh, in charge of the organization uh, and and it, and it, it works really well um, and I think the thing that that made it uh, in the movie that that you could easily translate into a game to get an ability like this so that it's not overpowered is the whole limitation placed on it with the uh, day and night thing do you know what I mean that was that was a really easy way for me to kind of create some amount of balance in the uh with the character so you know uh, i changed how that worked but it was still an effective tool uh on the balance end yeah that actually reminds me um uh in one of the older uh D books i think it's actually i think it might be the first said uh and player's handbook or it might be the dmg uh Gygax goes on this little screed about how you have to keep time in a game or else you can't really you can't really run it effectively, mm-hmm. and that's uh, recently been turned into this meme where it's insane to think like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, what he was talking about then, and it's something that's important to keep in mind as game masters now, is that like creatures, especially ones like vampires, they're extremely powerful in their element. But part of the way you face them as players is getting them out of their element. You know. Like, their plan to fight her all night until it was turning into dawn was a good one that would work in-game if and only if you were actually, like, counting how the time was passing in-game. Like, otherwise it's just the GM fiatting when the sun rises, which is then handing you a victory. I just have a question. What's what's the meme? I, I don't think I've seen this meme, so I don't know what the... Uh, it, uh, what the it turns up was. on... It turns up in the traditional games forum and the 4chan once in a while. I will occasionally go there whenever I'm feeling masochistic or whenever I want to plug something. Uh-huh. Yeah, TG. And uh, it's it's just that. It's it's the, the quote where he's talking about how a game can't be meaningful if you don't keep time records. Mm-hmm. And then it's them just asking like basically a Bay question like, what did he mean by this? With the implication that it's stupid to even talk about it because it's dumb to keep time like that. Okay, uh, I don't think I understand. So I can understand critiquing the concept. I don't understand how asking what did he mean by that is a weighty criticism. Oh, of the concept. oh, you need to understand the concept of bait before you before you of really uh, get into that. Okay, the concept of bait. Basically, most people that make huge volumes of threads on a thing like TG, anything on 4chan or anything like that, when you get to talk anonymously, mm-hmm. they don't make a thread to talk about it or critique it or anything. They make a thread to enjoy other people arguing about it. It's called a bait, th- a bait thread. Uh, it's just like fishing bait. Okay. And so you put out something like that, and there's really two ways of looking at it in general terms in the gaming community. There are those who don't feel that way because they, they feel like the, the GM should be the one narrating what time it is. And it should be linked to whether it's dramatically appropriate for something to happen, mm-hmm. not whether or not something would actually tactfully happen. And that's a fine and fair approach. And, of course, the other extreme approach of that is people who are, like me, a touch more anal retentive and do track the time passage because I like the strategic element of that. I I think that adds a lot to a game. And those are both completely reasonable ways to approach a role-playing game. You can do either. And as a matter of fact, I think both of us probably have. I I bet pretty much everyone has. 
I, I but tend to shift. I tend to shift between the two, actually, depending on oh, yeah, the type like, of. Adventure. Strange Tales of Song Ling is much, much more about. Like, it's much more. It's in someone's mind. Right? It's almost like this nightmare universe. But even, just, even within that, I was just editing one of the adventures in it, and there's a timeline, you know, where you you do have to keep track of some time just to sort of make sense of the timeline, right? Like, uh, yeah. so. Um, but yeah, I think I think also when it comes to like the whole keeping track of twenty minute blocks or hour blocks or whatever it is you're 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 dividing it up for with exploration and stuff, that can be very helpful because it, it's the thing that stops spamming in RPGs. Do you know what I mean? It's the thing yeah. that makes spamming more difficult to do. And spamming, okay. if, if it does spamming doesn't bother you, it's not an issue. But like if you don't like a person just constantly hitting the same button in a game uh, because it sort of makes it feel like they're not living in a real world, an easy way to make it feel like a real world is to keep track of time. So, um, Oh, yeah. That's one of the things that I was uh, that I finally got on top of. I was wrestling with it for most of this last year in the design of Chan Chang for the Lone Wolf this thing. Because I do scene rules. I don't do like hours and minutes. I do like these, these somewhat more malleable blocks of time. And uh, a thing I kept dealing with was, like, in the slower scenes, there's nothing that keeps you from just rolling over and over and over again until you get the highest possible result on your dice and just taking that. And I, I really went back uh, to the way that uh, the D20 systems did it back in the day, 3rd edition and 3.5, where the assumption was that if there wasn't really anything that kept you from doing that, you just could. It just took a certain amount of time. Yeah. And that actually helped out. That was like the first step on my little journey to making that function in this game. Mm. So, so yeah, I, I, I concur with you. Anyway, that my I got sidetracked from my initial point about the, the bait threads. Basically, the bait thread is to take those two completely reasonable ideas and make other people fight about them, okay. and then you win. It's just a troll tactic for okay. Okay. what I have no lives. And, and you brought that up because timing was related to the whole day versus night thing with the yeah because there there is a legitimate critique for doing it either way Mm. because i don't like it's not my preference to do it like okay you'll fight until you spend a you get enough fate points to spend them and then the sun will rise and you'll be the vampire i don't like that as much i like if you're actually tracking rounds or minutes or turns or whatever and it happens to get to that point and then you've got the vampire trying to dance away from the windows because the light's coming in that's great. Like I like that more more purely strategic approach. And uh, what about in terms of an adventure idea? Because one of the things I liked about this movie, and I mean this is a, a trope that you see in other wuxia films, but I, I like the way it's set up here, where this would be a great first adventure for uh, you know a really basic wuxia campaign. The players are part of a sect, and the leader sends them to go kill some rebellious member of the sect who's doing terrible things. Do you know what I mean? That's a that's a real because that can open up so many different things. Do you know what I mean? It's a very simple because find the bad guy. So many things can happen along the way. Do you know what I mean? It's a I, I and it and it and it's and it's an open enough sort of adventure structure that you don't really have to do a whole lot of prep. All you need to know is who the bad guy is and what he's doing and where he is and you know the basics of the things around that region and then let the players kind of decide how they're going to tackle the problem. Um, so, True. Do keep in mind, though, we didn't follow her through most of this movie. We followed the guys who were treating it like a horror movie. My brother went missing under mysterious circumstances, and there's a dead body. Now what do we do? Everything for them is investigating the mystery, gathering clues, facing unexpected danger, seeing eerie happenings. 
That's how I would approach it. I would that, approach it not from the you've got a job, but mm. you were victimized and now what? Well, but that also opens up the other adventure idea, which is you're sort of caught between two warring factions or forces, you know, and you don't necessarily know what's going on. So, you know, in in the movie, the way that it's handled is he eventually, you know, comes to realize that the Ivy Ling Poe character is 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 essentially heroic and he teams up with her but you know having having a having like two figures and one of them kind of be the bad guy and one of them kind of be the good guy but not making it immediately clear which is which can be a great sort of tactic as a gm that's a that's a uh i don't know i, I think that's that's really uh um uh it's it's really useful for um creating a sense of on the GM side, I don't really know how this is going to play out, right? Because I don't know how they're going to interact with these characters. But on the player side, having to kind of probe things and 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 decide who they can trust and you know who's the you know uh, you know who's the who... going to attack them with flesh eating puppets on a bridge, hmm? or who's going to attack them with flesh eating puppets on a bridge? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> who could that be, Brendan? <laughs> so for those okay. who don't know. Joel was was uh, was was slaughtered. Actually, no, you survived that, didn't you? I, I not only survived. I I would have leveled up if we ever do that again. I I ran strange tales in a sit in a in a in a way where uh, one of the players was allowed to take control of the monsters, and the other players had to survive. And so, and Joel and the other player Pete were on the receiving end of um, oh, Sabrina's. Poor, I tried so uh, hard to save him. What was that? I tried so hard to save poor Pete. I did. Well, Pete Pete was able to get his revenge last night because oh. um, he got to pick the monster. And it was just him and Sabrina, and they uh, he he picked a troll spirit, and he which which was these creatures that could ride the wind basically and are massive and can kill people with a single bite. And, oh my god! That's and, he, and, he, and he was able to track monster. Sabrina down and kill her. Um, All right, so I I do want to like I don't want to like plug Strange Tales of Songling, but like I'm not kidding. I had so much fun playtesting that as the GM and the player. I've got to own that when it comes know, out. I've you know what's funny? I was talking about it last night with them, and I just I, like me and Sabrina at least. I, did, I actually didn't get Pete's opinion, so I don't know if Pete agrees. He's a quiet fellow. But uh, what was that? He's a quiet fellow. Pete is. He's quiet but very intelligent. Pete. Uh, oh, yeah. I got that impression yeah. of him right away. Um, yeah. So. Uh, but but Sabrina and I both agreed that um, that this is like our favorite game. Like this is like Tales of Songling is my favorite game that that I've done, just in terms of the game that I want to run. Do you know what I mean? It's the yeah. one I have the most fun running. It's the one that's the easiest for me to run. It's the one that I connect the most with the genre material. I think so. Um, I, I can tell that you like. It's clear you had fun writing it from the re- from reading it. Um, a, a, a praise I do want to give that game, and I, I want to link this back to our conversation, because while I was watching this, I was thinking, you know what would make this a great story, or a great thing to do in Strange Tales, is put a real hopping vampire in the mix in this mm. thing, and have the players just encounter this situation when they're trying to investigate. Like, yeah. the very first you know death that was there, you're, you're here to investigate what happened there. Okay, so there's a warring faction of ghost warriors, oh, also there's a real actual vampire. Yeah. 
Wouldn't that just be amazing? And like, it'd be perfect for Strange Tales. Yeah, no, definitely. You could definitely do that sort of thing. Which, which I think you're gonna do it, aren't you? You're gonna do that exact thing. Well, I think I even used that as an example in the book. Not that exact thing, but the idea of you. I used it as an example somewhere where you, you, like, you have an encounter in an inn, right, where there's people pretending to be ghosts. And it's just like a bunch of drunk scholars or something that are, you know, messing with people. But then later, there's real ghosts, you know, and another, you know, like, uh, you know, you don't want to overdo that sort of thing. But every once in a while, that kind of move can be entertaining. Um, ah, yeah, it can be. We've we watched a lot of eerie, creepy uh, wuxia stuff lately that I've been really enjoying. Well, I, I like creepy wuxia stuff. And that's why I want to, um, I want to try to find a way to make it possible for you to see a film called Intimate Confessions of a Chinese Courtesan, which, again, the title is, I think, misleading. It, it is definitely, it gets into the realm of the erotic for sure, but it's a Choi yeah. Yuen movie, and it's, it's, it's a really well-made film. And, and the thing that's kind of cool about it is it's a very similar theme to this film where, the, 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 for lack of a better word, the villainess in, the, in that movie, she's... Vis- she's depicted visually as a vampire as the movie progresses more and more like she's not literally a vampire but but the staging the costuming the gestures that she makes she keeps invoking this image of vampirism over the course of the movie oh, and that's it's really cool. effective it's one of the most effective things i've seen done in a wuxia movie like that that doesn't actually include real vampires do you know what i mean and I and I always think of this movie when I'm watching that one because they kind they kind of covering similar ground. Um, I, I've got to watch it now, man. That sounds cool. It's, that it's, sounds, it's I, it, oh, go you ahead. do that in games, by the way, where you where you change your description of a character that the players are familiar with as the game goes on and something's happening to them. Have you ever done that? I don't know if I have. I don't think I have, but that sounds like a good technique to use. Oh, that's cool. Well, the thing about it is, is that because you're describing something you've already described to them. Like you have to, it immediately draws attention to the differences in a yeah. way that it wouldn't necessarily in real life. I think in real life differences can be much more subtle than that. Yeah. But they become much more, much more obvious if you're literally telling players, "Look at what changed yeah. over and over." Uh, so you've got to be careful with it. Uh, it's, it, it's, I find it's most useful whenever uh, an NPC doesn't necessarily know what's happening to them yeah. and isn't aware that they are changing, especially if there's like fairly decent size intervals between seeing them like for example uh someone's turning into a werewolf or something or a vampire or some kind of monster they're like an innkeep so every time the players go out to the dungeon and come back they're just a little further along the scale and the great thing about that is that you can play you can play it for different effects depending on the tone of the game like that's real easy to play for comedy the guy doesn't realize he's turning into a lizard monster is hilarious you know but it can also be unsettling especially if like the, the tone and the feel of the game is much more grim and hopeless. Yep. So, it's neat. Well, and stuff that I can say uh, from this this movie that really work well is stuff that I, I've run in the, in the Lady 87 campaign where um, having these kinds of minions is... It really is like a... It's a really creepy way to introduce a character. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, if well, you have somebody like being... You know, I didn't have them get carried around on coffins, but I had this sort of Doom Disciple type thing going on. And, and, and I, I, you see it in a lot of movies. Like there's, there's always these characters that kind of look vaguely zombie like in a lot of these films, especially Cho Yuan movies. Um, the thing I like about this one though, is there's a real clear explanation of what's going on with those guys. You know what I mean? So it just, 
it, it just it, it it gives them a creepiness, but it also creates tactical options for players. Do you know what I mean? Because the whole thing with the pins in the back of the head, like in the movie, the 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 villainous, and because she has similar types of disciples, she pulls the pins out of the uh, out of Ivy Ling Poe's minions' necks and puts her own pins in there, and then is able to control them in a in a uh, surprise attack. So uh, oh yeah, it's also nice to see a bad guy that has a very similar power set to one of the what would be effectively a player here. Yeah, that doesn't happen enough in RPGs, but it's real cool when it does. Yeah, no, that that definitely is another part of it, um, and also having them have the same power, but the one that's more powerful operates with slightly different rules. Do you know what I mean? There's yeah, you know, that was cool too. Yeah, and uh, and also requires like going to the depths a little bit more, going to sort of more extremes. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's it, again, there's there's a film. It's 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 got a lot of different ideas you can sort of take and bring to the game table, but. Mm-hmm. Um, but 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 I think the uh, all all of the parts from it that I've sort of tried to incorporate I found very effective, um, and so I don't know is there anything else in the in the movie that you would think would be good in a gaming context? Oh man, there was just a lot of little things. Um, oh, like I like that their their powers had that restriction during the daytime. Uh, I used to run Vampire a lot back in the day. Uh, and actually, actually I ran it over several editions too. I really liked Vampire. Uh, and I one of the cool things that happened in one of my games was that one of the characters, instead of playing a vampire, played a ghoul. So they got to be awake during the day and the night. And it really highlighted just how fragile the vampires are outside of their element. Yeah. That was really neat. It's it's neat whenever player characters have like these these weird and difficult restrictions that they have to live with. Because it's the other half of the whole puzzle monster thing is now we have a tactical puzzle about making this character function. Yeah. I think that's nifty. Well, and I think the other interesting thing about it is it allows you to have a threat where the characters can be defeated and and become these 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 minions of the of the of the master, but mm. there's still a possibility that they might be able to return to their normal state. Do you know what I mean? You can cut. You can kind of if 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 you don't want to have a guy who's just going to go around killing player characters, but you want them to be terrifying, this would be a good option. Because that's a good option, you yeah. know, so huh. I, so I think yeah. I think it works well in that you respect. My ears turn there, Brendan. That's huh? that's actually a really cool idea. I may just have to put that in Tianchang, put that little fist somewhere. That is that is a sick, sick, cool little power. And uh, I also, oh. I also, I also, um, you know what I'm going to send you? I'll send you the. Um, uh, I have the sect of the martial world book. The uh, the relentless. I think it was called the relentless corpse sect, something like that. Um, they have similar types of minions in that one. I'll send that to you to give you some, some, uh, some examples of how how I've used it at least. Um, yeah, give me, give me. I, I still want to get. Uh, I still want to sit down and, and play out some of the stuff you have sent me. Like I still have House of Paper Shadows that I've unfortunately not been able to play test yet. Um, I I read the whole thing and I've it's got my gears turning. I've been really excited to actually try the thing out. I just haven't been able to yet. One of these days we'll have to do something where we gamify things. Do you know what I mean? And we can like alternate between Tian Chung and, and, and Ogre Gate or something. Cause I think they, they've I got think... some DNA in common. I've noted from playing, uh, playing Ogre Gate. So that's cool. Yeah. The, uh, I mean, I, I, I still, I still need to play. Well, I, I haven't, I haven't played uh, lone wolf fist at all, but I've read through Tian Chung and it's, a, it's a very interesting, take on everything 
And the, the cuts are really the star of the show with it, which is uh, one of the hallmarks of the system that I inherited was that they, the actual combats took a long time and they had a lot of interesting and unexpected depth and strategy to them, which makes it really a joy to play. But what I'd like to do is I'd like to have you run it for me because I feel like that's always the best way to sort of encounter it. You know what I mean? Like I got you right here, so you might as well run it and show me how yeah, things are supposed so. to work. Um, you should. Because I think I think what would be interesting for the program, I know we're kind of talking shop in the middle of the show, but <laughs> I, I I don't care. Um, I, I think what would be interesting for the program is that uh, it's sort of bringing more more of like what's going on at the table into the show because I, I have a program on the podcast that we haven't done in a while, but we're going to do another episode soon called uh, RPG Lab, where the idea is we don't just talk about what would work great in a game. We actually go we we say oh, I have an idea, and then we try it. And then we report back how it went, right? So I feel like that's maybe would be kind of a cool structure for this show because a lot of times one of my concerns when we give advice like this is Mm -hmm. you watch a movie and you get good game ideas, right? But then if you just say, well, yeah, this is what I would do, that's great, but it's kind of like a forum discussion where people say, oh, yeah, this is what I would do. And then you end up with an artificial... Oh, go ahead, ahead, Joel. I don't want to interrupt Uh, you. You're right. It doesn't go all the way. Like, Like you're saying... What you wind up with is an opinion of how you think something would be, not any actual data about how yeah. it would. Yeah, and it's, and I and I feel like, but but we both run campaigns. We both, you know, why, you know, and and a lot of what we say is informed by our experience at the table. We just referenced a bunch of stuff that happened in our own games, but like, why not combine the advice section of the show with, you know, really doing things at the table, in like direct connection with that bit of advice and then you know what i'm saying i think i think that would be the uh maybe an interesting way to go uh on future episodes uh, and again oh. i know we're talking shop here but but this is where the discussion is led so we're going to go here um no no because think about it what we could do right is well um like say we watch a movie like i don't know what's what's the movie that we haven't seen yet that we know we want to do is there one that's on the horizon Oh, what's that? Uh, we had one that I ordered that I think that we were supposed. You you told me you disliked it, and the reason I ordered it was because I also wanted to oh, try to dislike. Oh it. yeah, oh yeah, we got Journey of the Doomed. Journey of the yeah, Doomed. Journey, Journey of the Doomed. That's coming. Okay. It should be next week. That's when it's coming in. Okay, so this is a. I don't know how we would do this one, but we'll we'll we'll, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> but okay, so Journey of the Doomed. See, that's an interesting example because we specifically chose it because it's one that I think yeah. is a bad movie. Um, the, the thinking behind it yeah. was we found movies that we both like and we found movies where one of us has a strong positive and one of us a strong negative opinion but we yet to have one we both hate and yeah. my hope is that this is that one so so I don't know maybe what we could do okay here, here's a possibility does a bad movie produce a good game <laughs> do you know what I mean Ooh. you know what I mean like is, oh, I like is, is what's bad for cinema good for gaming we could we could we could give ourselves the task of running an adventure that is Journey of the Doomed. Do you know what I mean it's got all the trappings of Journey of the Doomed, and then see how it goes? Um, you turn a bad movie into a good game, or is, or or do they share in common that if they are flawed in their conception, that they are doomed? That's a fascinating hypothesis. I think I think I think that we could do that, and 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 what that would enable us to do is we watch the movie. Then after watching the movie, one of us runs a game based on the film, and then and, and and the other person would have to be a player in the game as well. I think in order to get a full report, we would need both perspectives. 
Um, and then when we do the show, we have a lot of stuff to talk about, including the movie, but also, you know, how things go. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I just, I just, I, that, that, I think, I think that's what we should probably try to do next time. Um, that and, sounds really cool. Oh my God. But hopefully we get more reasons to hate this movie because I really want to hate it. And I, it's weird to go into a movie knowing that you want to dislike it. But, you know, sometimes you watch the room on paper. There's a lot to like about the movie, but in, in reality, I, I just, it just fumbled. You know, Kara Hoy is in it. Uh, um, the, uh, what is it? The, uh, um, there's, there's rampant sex and nudity, which usually is like a draw for people. Do you know what I mean? Uh, there's, there's, you know, all kinds of crazy gonzo elements. It's, it's got like all the stuff that would normally get people into the theater. Right. But it, 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 it's just, it just kind of comes off as, I mean, and I got, and I guess this wouldn't be a surprising conclusion based on what I just said, but it comes off as very tacky. Do you know what I mean? And normally though, in like Wuxia, when those ingredients come together, they don't feel tacky to me in this way. Do you know what I mean? This movie feels very tacky the way that it's done. Um, this kitsch. It, it just, I don't know. It just, it just, it, it felt like. You know what the the real crime of it is? I think it just felt kind of phoned in. That's sort of how it felt to me. Oh, um, that's that's poor. That's a terrible thing to have to say about anything, though. You know that it feels like ah, it's just phoned in. I mean, oh. who knows? Maybe we'll watch it and I'll have a revelation about it, and I'll be like, no, this was really a great movie. But I don't think so. I think um, I but I think it will. There'll be plenty of material for us to draw on for a game either way. So, you know. Um, cause I watched it when I was on that kick where I was watching all of the Gonzo movies, you know what I mean? Like Holy Flame of the Martial World, Buddha Palm, Battle Wizard, all those kind of films. I Battle Wizard's one we have. Wizard, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's put that on the docket. That sounds cool. Bat- See, Battle Wizard is one a lot of people like, and I just didn't gravitate to for some reason. It's a good movie. I'm not going to complain about it. It just didn't excite me the way Buddha Palm excited me for some reason. Uh, Buddha Palm was cool. Uh, <laughs> but, uh. But I think that's just a very personal thing. Um, yeah, so, so I mean, that's another one. I mean, I guess since we're talking about the show, you know, what are some of the other movies that we've been sort of kicking around that we might do? Do we have, um, uh, you know, any other, any other films coming down that we want to we wanna be thinking about in these terms? I would really like to, to check out Kung Fu Hustle, too. Like, I've actually seen that prior to even meeting you, and I, I really enjoyed that movie. Kung Fu? So. Okay, so, so that'll be easy because... Just like we're doing Finger of Doom on Wuxia Weekend this Friday, we're also doing Kung Fu Hustle next Friday. So, uh, if you, and I believe Kung Fu Hustle is available on Netflix right now. Uh, I, I actually own that movie. That's one of the oh, few okay. that yeah, I, 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 I own it too. And I also, I even have like an unsealed Blu-ray of it as well. But, um, uh, but it's available on all the streaming services. Huh? I don't know what a Blu-ray would offer over the DVD, really. Well, here's here's why I would get a Blu-ray. I have a TV that is, um, what is it like the 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 H the 4K or whatever the hell they are, like the next step of HD TV, right? I got one of those like a year and a half ago for Christmas, and what I discovered was it makes anything that's made for that format looks great on it, but if you have a DVD that's like made in 2008 and try to play it on, on a um, 4k television. It looks like absolute garbage. Uh, so I was actually wishing I had my old TV because then when I go to watch my old Choi Yuen DVDs, they look terrible and they shouldn't. Um, 
So yeah, so 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 now I'm trying to get as much of them as I can on Blu-ray because Blu-ray looks fine on this kind of TV. So I do like having my Blu-ray player. I'm, I'm glad that you talked me into it so I can watch Chinese Ghost Story. Even if all of the the money and time invested in Chinese Ghost Story was the only if that was like a one of a kind disc, I need to spend mm-hmm. all that money and time just to watch that one. I think it probably still would have been worth it. I, I uh, will say, really Chinese Ghost Story. The, the blue the Blu-rays that I've been getting for these movies have generally been really good. Maybe that's just because we're just getting the first waves of them now. So like, you know, I mean, I guess I guess it's been going on for a few years now at least, but. Uh, but we're, we're still sort of getting that first wave of them issuing them. So they're kind of, number one, picking a lot of good movies, but also they tend to be really good transfers and all that stuff. But I just had, I just watched a um, Blu-ray of uh, A Moment of Romance for the, the, the last Boucher Weekend episode, and it looked unbelievable. Do you know what I mean? I, I had it on DVD, and the DVD looked fine, but this looked like I could see the grains on the film. Do you know what I mean? I felt like I was in a movie theater watching it. Wow. Yeah, it was that. It was that good, um, and so, so yeah. So is you know one of the times I don't mind seeing the grains is when you you know you're watching it on Blu-ray and you're reminded that it's still actually a film. You know, um, yeah, it's a certain charm to that that I really enjoy. Well, I mean, it's one of those things where like I, do you mean you know how like they don't really do movies? And I know this is a tangent, but when you go to the theater now, they don't actually have film in the projector anymore. It's all digital and stuff, right? Yeah, and, digital. And so the last time I went to see a movie i saw bohemian rhapsody for the second time and Mm -hmm. they assign seats now also which i don't like like before they didn't assign seats but now suddenly they assign seats so Hmm. so it doesn't do that you can just sit wherever well but the problem is people that aren't even at the theater already bought their tickets online so we had to sit in like the very front row like literally like the one the 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 one where your neck is cranked back and all that right but the thing that i discovered sitting in that seat is that when the projector started, I could see all these little dots on the screen because of the digital projecting that was going on. Mm-hmm. And then once the movie started, I could not stop looking at those dots. I couldn't unsee them <sighs> once I had seen them. So Yeah. It's like when you get really close to one of those old TVs and you can see the little the little dots. The little I, well, you can see the screen. Dots. You can see the screen in the old TV, right? Like the old, um, what are they called? The the old tube TVs. I forget the exact yeah. name. Uh, for cathode them. ray tubes? Yeah. Yeah, that's... Uh, you know, that's what I had growing up, and I remember I used to always, that's what I would do. I would go up close to the screen, and I, and I, would, I would periodically be reminded what garbage the, 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 the technology was. Do you know what I mean? Because I, I, it, 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 once you see it, it's kind of hard to not see it, and then you have to walk back a little bit and see if you can still see the screen, and it's, it's sort of annoying. Um, <laughs> but, but I guess my point was it's nice to sort of see the film every once in a while to know that you're actually watching a medium that's film and not digital. And I know it shouldn't make a difference, but it, it just somehow does. There's an appeal to nostalgia there. I think but it's we not have just nostalgia. It's, away it's from our original topic. <laughs> no, I know. I know. I apologize. I veered wildly off topic here, but I, 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 I don't know. I feel, I feel like, I feel like it's more than nostalgia. I feel like it's a real thing, but to, to, to bring it back to, you know, the topic that we're talking about, you know, I feel, I feel like, you know, this definitely has sort of the, um, you know, the atmosphere of classic horror movie films. And I think, you know, the good reason to, to, to watch this movie is because it'll inspire you to bring a lot of that stuff into your game. You know I mean, it's a very, it's a very sort of, you know, atmospheric spooky film. And, and it kind of does it in a very simple way, right? It, it, 
it, it it doesn't it doesn't have vampires but they're very they're it's very effective at, at making the martial arts spooky and so yeah it, it, this is almost an instruction manual for how to bring a new genre into wuxia without sacrificing anything about your wuxia you could put this in a much more traditional kind of wuxia campaign and it wouldn't be atonal it would just feel like there was like a darker creepier tone to your campaign for a little while what was going on yeah like that's that's great i love that and uh and yeah so and 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 again you know um you know i i think uh you know we're, we're coming up on the hour mark so i'm gonna we're gonna oh, yeah, end fair. it soon but uh i i people who might be confused by the tangents that we sometimes go on i just want to explain <laughs> we we don't edit these episodes so nope. we 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 record and we just talk and so sometimes we stay on track and it's and, and it sounds like we've been editing the episode because we're just really good at staying on track. Some days our minds wander, you know, like when it's the early days of spring, like it is now. And uh, and and we go off. Tra- we go off target. I think the conversations are still interesting. I enjoy listening to these episodes that that deviate from the the the, the sort of yeah, what we're actually talking I'm about. probably an embarrassing amount of our of our listen counts because I'll listen to us talk once in a while be like oh, i remember that conversation let's hear it again but uh well it's it's a good co- so when i originally did this and again i'm going off topic again but it's relevant to what i'm saying uh when i originally did this i did this as a cultivation tool i didn't do this as like a promotional or marketing thing this was originally intended to help me develop as a person rather than as a no no joel's given me like a really cynical this is Facial. not cynical. This is oh, this is the okay. dad look where I'm okay. like, I'm proud of you, son. That's my wow. Does that look cynical to you? That's it not looks good. cynical to me. Maybe well, maybe that's just my my natural paranoia. But um, but I think that uh, I, I the way I looked at it was I wanted a sort of feedback mechanism where I could you know maybe improve how I how I think about topics and how I talk about topics. And I felt the, a good way to do that is to just record yourself talking about something and work your way through an idea and then, you know, see what the result is. And I also felt that it was a good idea to um, to to not edit it for that reason, because if I edited it, then I I wouldn't be cultivating. I would be I would be constructing what I wanted. Right. Do you know what I mean? So uh, this the initial idea behind this was never to make it really into like a consumable product. I think it's, it's kind of become that, which is nice, but that's because it's performed its original function, which was to kind of help us focus and bore down on ideas and discuss them in in detail and depth and really like look at different different angles, which I think is one of the, one of the things that I always love about doing this program with you is that you'll always give me some idea that like for, for a new way of looking at something that it really, it, it teaches me something. That's really wonderful, and I'd like to think that our our audience is pitiful as it is, especially in the wake of Google Plus collapsing. Yeah, I, we, I would like to think that uh, that they they go on that journey with us. You well, know, our numbers aren't that bad actually. We have, we got, we have we do have an audience, but but what happened was the uh, the Google Plus thing on April first uh, that made it harder to reach people because we we relied on a lot of uh, venues on Google Plus for posting links. We were on other social media too. And it's not like it was a majority of the audience, but it was like a fifth or a fourth. And so as soon as that went down, the numbers went down by a fifth or a fourth. So, uh, you know, which we're slowly sort of working to rebuild that. 
but the loss of Google Plus definitely had a big impact on on things. Um, I still, I'm staggered that they did it on April first. Oh, that's a totally Google thing to do. I think. I, I mean, I I just is that man. <laughs> well, you know what it is. I don't think that the, maybe they did, but I don't think they realized like how many communities had grown up in that environment. And yeah, and so. for a lot of people, it was like, man, like, what are we going to do now? You know what I mean? Because not just from the perspective of posting links to our podcast, but I mean, like, you know, there was a there was a thriving Wuxia community there that I was part of. I was a part of all different kinds of gaming. Yeah, there was a, a Legend of the Woolen group there that I was a member of that, like, wasn't super active, but it was nice to see other people burning the candle for the yeah. game. And it's just gone now there was a lot of osr stuff too right there was a lot of there was a lot of there were also just a lot of people there that talked about things in ways they didn't talk about on facebook because the the algorithm is different right so you would just get like it's hard to keep a conversation going on facebook yeah on google plus you would get people that would just say something like just a person who would say hey here's an idea i have about gaming and it would show up in your feed because the algorithm allowed you to see people even if you hadn't interacted with them for a while and, yeah, and and, I, I saw it pop up in my Gmail, which I check my Gmail every day. Of course, it's my business yeah. Gmail. So that, that was great. Yeah. And there's just nothing like that anymore. Yeah, but, no. And I mean, you kind of get on Facebook. I, I feel like Facebook is more prone to arguments than Google Plus was. I don't know why. It um, is, yeah. People get vociferous there. I've, I've not had that, that happen much in the, the Tian Shang Facebook page. Everyone's been really polite there. Mm-hmm. But, like, I, I see it. And I, I see a lot of, like, because there's a lot of like admins who run a, a page on Facebook, there's a lot of like little baronies and like little Napoleons who will get really uppity if you don't post there regularly, but you're a member there. And it's just like, what, dude, you have a Facebook page. You're not important. None of us are. I'm not, I'm not going to, what, what do you want me to post in your silly little group to justify my membership here? Uh, hey. That's, that's annoying. Yeah, no, I, I, I you know, I don't know. I mean, but 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 the point is, we've lost a lot of numbers uh, due to Google Plus going down. So, um, you know, so that 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 is that is definitely a thing. But I think um, I don't know. I, I, we you know we, we don't edit the show, and there there is a reason for that. We we you know, I want I want if I meet somebody who's listening to the show. Apparent than now. What, what was that? So that's never been more apparent than now. No, it's very apparent this episode. I would agree. Um, but I would maintain that no matter where we go, the conversation remains somewhat interesting. I think I think that's the um, to me that's what matters. If you we know, I, I listen to a lot people. of I listen to a lot of uh, programs uh, like podcasts and stuff, and the more interesting ones are honestly ones where the conversation can go anywhere, and they just sort of linger on the interesting topics that arise during the discussion. It does you know you don't need to have this sort of focused thing over the course of the show i think um sometimes it arises naturally you know no that's true um but again what you know the point i was going to make was i want if people like met us in real life to not be surprised do you know what i mean like like imagine yeah. imagine if if we we edit ourselves into perfection right and then people mm-hmm. meet us and then it's like whoa you guys are weirdos like you're jumping around from topic to topic you know you're, you're doing all these things you're telling these jokes just out of, you know say like what's um going on <laughs> huh you say um a whole lot i'm bad yeah. for that i'm bad for i um. say okay i'm gonna talk about that one because that has come up in threads when i posted and stuff i do say um a lot i'm a believer in the um i think that saying um is useful I'm not a believer in just digesting whatever advice happens to be floating online or whatever advice happens to be, you know, 
you know, uh, advanced in, in a, in a speech class textbook. I actually took a bunch of speaking for business courses when I was in college and stuff. And that was one of the things that they talked about. But there's also the fact that when you're speaking, the um is where you're thinking, right? Like when you say um, it's because you're thinking and it's a pause to denote consideration. And it's an entirely arbitrary thing that we've decided um is bad, but silence is good, right? Because I could just replace my ums with silence. That wouldn't take right, me that, long. That would, like, invite me to, like, engage with what you just said when yeah. obviously the idea wasn't totally formed yet. And yeah. just having that awkward silence isn't fun to listen to, so you got to do something there. No, yeah, so I, I believe that ums are fine. Um, you know, we need to have a, a second soundbite idea. We need to have that sound of swords hitting each other and ringing instead of ums. Like, we'll just have silence there, and we'll just, like, go to our... Go, go and hire an editor and be like, okay, put the sword ringing sound. Think, well, that would be... A, thinking. But, but then but then you'd have this annoying clash of sword sound every time I say, um, I think, uh... I think the um <laughs> is just... What you learn from is, that, Brendan? No, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, but the um is preferable. I mean, look, I mean, and this isn't a political statement. I don't, you know, I don't, you know, but, like, Barack Obama used to say um all the time, right? Like, that was his, uh, you know, and he was considered a very good public speaker right like like people that didn't like him would attack him for the ums because they need something to attack him for just like if you don't like bush you'll attack him for things yeah, you don't like whatever say he sounded smug because he said um and i'm like oh i'm in trouble <laughs> well i don't know i just think um is fine i think like um is what people do when they're thinking in real conversation and i think deliberately inserting a pause is basically no different than saying um you know if I was saying like all the time, I could see it like you know, like I just did. You know, like, like is a like is a sort of annoying thing for cultural reasons. Do you know what I mean? We sort of associate it with with. Uh, I I do one that's that's really associated with my generation, which is called up talking, which is where you say a statement, but it kind of sounds like a question. I, yeah, I, I've I've never understood that. That to me is is been something I don't like, and I I, know I do do it sometimes too, but like. Only because I've absorbed whatever's in the air these uh, days. But, stupid generation pioneered that crap. Thanks, guys. I can't stop. What's doing the it purpose now. of that? Why would you phrase a statement as a question? Uh, it's I. I don't actually know. <laughs> I I do it whenever like I'm not entirely certain of what I'm saying. So I could say that sentence again and say, well, "Why aren't I do, you I'm not like, entirely certain of what I'm saying?" Like that. But doesn't it, it weakens it weakens what you're saying considerably? Right. It like makes it, you sound like an idiot, and I do it all the time. <laughs> like I don't know. I mean. I, Maybe, maybe I, I might need to see examples of it because I'm just I've only, I know I've heard people do it and I've heard like, you know, if I'm listening to like public radio or something, they've had segments on up, what is it called? Up talking. Is that it? Up talking. What, okay. What's, so what's the other one? Vocal fry and up talking are two things that apparently have been big. And uh... a lot of them are coming from the way we communicate on the on the Internet, because I've seen a lot of like I'm on Twitter now. So I see a lot of tweets which are a statement with a question mark afterwards. And I'm like. You're up talking in text, dude. Come on, you can do better than that. You can communicate more clearly, and right. it's like it's almost like a backhanded compliment where you're you're saying something different than what you're saying. And I really wish you would just be straightforward, people who I, are texting that. I think it's fine for generations to have their own ways of doing things, right? Like my oh, generation, that, that makes me want to throttle whoever tweeted it. I hate no, that. but like what I think is more annoying is when people from the generation above start imitating the younger do you know what i mean like i think that's cute you think that's i, I think that's the most annoying thing in the world like like just, like when i see somebody from my generation use a phrase like my dude right 
it bothers me. Jenny, it bothers me tremendously. It's, it's a bit more of a Gen Z thing. Uh, I've got I've got a player who's a, a bit my senior, and uh, so I have a little brother who plays with his friend in my games sometimes. And they're they're of the generation right after me, so they're they're Gen Zers. They're, okay. they're what we call they're, So they're the ones that and do my dude. Is that they, they do my dude, and it's infectious. I'll always I'll talk like that for a few days after they're at the table. I I'm like, oh oh my dude. I I, so I gotta fun. be honest. I can't stand that expression. It it bothers me on so many levels, and I don't know why. Just... I think it's I associate with with his personality and like my my brother and his friend are cool dudes so I, I it's it's this little charming little tick that they have if I were hearing it more often I would probably kill someone but just just those two it's okay that's just the right I mean I'm not I'm I mean people should talk how they want to talk I just I'm just saying I find it an annoying <laughs> phrase I understand but, that you are welcoming my violence yeah. but but what really bothers me is when I see people from my generation start using lingo from a younger generation that they obviously don't believe in. If they believe in it, it's fine. It's the, it's the, I know this person doesn't believe in this language, but they're using it to artificially appeal to a younger crowd. Do you know what I mean? That's the, that's yeah, the stuff that kind of, I don't the, like. You can uh, do it ironically, which I think is fun. I, as long as, cause I, that's one of the things that, that was in the 90s where everything was ironic for a little while. Yeah, yeah. I was growing up at that point. I thought that was great. I thought it was all the cool older kids were doing that. And I thought that was fun. And also Seinfeld was on the air because I'm old. Um, you know, Seinfeld <laughs> was all about the snark and, um, and irony. Yeah. It was a smarm. Smarm, yeah. smarm, yeah, smarm is a good word for, for Seinfeld. I love Seinfeld. I, I saw the I saw it from the very first episode because I was a fan of Seinfeld as a kid. Like as a little kid in the eighties, I was a fan of Seinfeld. And when that show came out, I was like, "Wow, he's got his own show!" And I was like, "I was I was I was watching it from the very beginning." Um, but uh, but yeah, so obviously we've deviated tremendously from our finger of doom topic. <laughs> um, so I think it's fine. I think we kind of need this this shattering of the structure every once in a while. Um, because we had we had we had a really we had a really engaging discussion about my dude and so many other culturally relevant topics. So, so many other. This is the clickbait episode. This is this is the this is our socially aware episode. This is as socially aware as we get on this program. We're hip, my yeah. dudes. <laughs> yeah, this is the we'll 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 market this as the hippest version of the show ever. <laughs> you the, heard it here the, first, the, eight viewers. The, the hip rebranding of Wusha Workshop, right? <laughs> we have a sister program, by the way, that I want to promote, Metal Workshop. Um, I decided to go with the workshop theme again for our metal podcast episode. So, uh, I got about uh, 45 minutes into listening to that, by the way. That first episode is a little brutally long, but it never <laughs> loses interest. Uh, we we actually, go on for a long time. J Jim was at one point commenting on Facebook how long I was talking for. Um, so say. like, it's clear that, like you said, you bottled a lot up because like, and I learned stuff in that podcast. I, I, I actually watched it just as, completely as a fan of yours. And like, whenever you guys started talking about the black album, I was like, well, that's the album that my mom loved about. <laughs> oh them. my God. She, she did. Cause she was also really into like everything that happened musically in the nineties. She was into like grunge really big and all that. And she liked guns and roses. And so like, she was a big nineties music fan. And I've heard that as, like, the, the Metallica that I grew up with. I was like, oh, yeah, I like a lot of those songs. Uh, and so I've not really ever had a strong opinion on Metallica. But I heard you guys talking about it, like, that's their sellout album, apparently. That, that was their, yeah, that was their sellout. Well, no, it, we were debating whether it was their sellout album. I was uh, kind of... It's apparently a thing that, that is accepted as a moment when their career kind of took a turn it, for the nosedivey. 
So, so I listened to the older Metallica that predated that. Oh my God, Metallica rule! You, you didn't. You had not heard Metallica prior to the Black Album. I, I had one time on the radio heard "For Whom the Bell Tolls," and I didn't know who sang it. Oh, I was like, oh. this, this is amazing. Yeah. Who yeah. does this? But they went to commercial afterwards, and I was like, well, it's a radio. It happens sometimes. Now well, I know who did it. it go, so, going. Oh, was that? Oh, was that? It's like, okay, so this is me stumping for your other program, but it really was, like, I loved, you two guys just taught me that I loved Metallica. I didn't know that before. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, uh, the, oh, I'm getting an oh, echo okay. for some reason on your end, but, um. Oh, sorry. I don't know, I don't know if you can do it, you can do it. I was it, shouting I into this uh, thing. So but, uh, oh, what did the volume adjust? <laughs> but the, yeah, with with Metallica, you can see why, because, like, the, their their earlier material, especially from Ride the Lightning through Injustice for All, which is like a that's a very cohesive sound. Those three albums, if you look at Kill 'Em All, that's kind of they're still developing, right? And and it's very raw, and they still kind of sound like Diamond Head and some of the bands that Jim and I were talking about on the program. But when you get to Ride the Lightning, they really start to create a sound that feels new and different, and you know the the harm the the harmonies are really interesting. And, you know, and so and, and they're taking a lot of the, the, you know, like the twin guitar stuff from British New Wave and doing interesting things with it. So, you know, they carry that sound with a with a really heightened level of aggression from Ride the Lightning into uh, uh, Injustice for All. But with the Black Album, they shift to like a hard rock kind of sound. Right. It's still, I mean, it's still debatable whether it falls in the camp of hard rock or heavy metal, but it's definitely more hard rock than than metal, I think. Uh, it is, and it, for me, like I almost read it like like an experimental album in a lot of ways because of the like it, just how much they depart from what they had been doing until then, and, and how many different kinds of songs are on Black Album. Here's the difference. Here's what happened because I remember when that album came out. I was into them uh, prior to that because I got into Metallica in like '89 or '90, like. Like right before that album came out, I got I got into them with uh, Injustice for All, right, and Ride the Lightning, and you know, I, like I got Injustice for All, and then I went back and listened to their other stuff. And when that and prior to that, anybody that listened to Metallica kind of looked and acted like me. They were like you know skinny guys that you know maybe played an instrument. Do you know what I mean? It was sort of like metalheads were into them. All of a sudden, yeah. when the Black album came out. I would walk by the weight room where like all the all the football players and stuff were working out and you'd hear the black album being played. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so that was a major t- I mean it's not a big deal outside of that atmosphere but to us it was like oh my god the football players are listening to Metallica now. Do you know what I mean? It was a it it, 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 it so it wasn't just that it wasn't just the sound change it was also that this this that the song that the audience was migrating into these places where people that listen to metal generally you didn't generally feel like going into the weight room if you listen to metal do you know what i mean like you weren't part of that crowd usually so um so that's why i think there was such a strong response to to all that but i like the black album i was actually making the argument that i thought they deserved a chance to shift sound after establishing a sound in metal and doing it so well for three albums and, right, because otherwise you're the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and you never change. Yeah, you don't do that. And and the Black Album actually was a really good album. I thought. I thought it was. It it wasn't a thrash metal album, but it was a really good album. I think it was still kind of on the cusp of metal, but it was. You know, again, it had more of, of a hard rock sensibility to it, but it worked for their style. 
What didn't work was in the 90s when Metallica shifted again with Load into territory that just didn't match James Hetfield's voice, in my opinion. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I feel like it just wasn't... It, it, I, I made the point in the podcast, but like metal is always in danger of sounding like Muppets. Do you know what I mean? And... And yeah, that, take it, I heard you leading with that, and I immediately got an image of like Animal from the from the Muppet band, and I was like, "Oh my god, he's right." No, it's true. I never thought of that before. It's, it's, it's true. It's a good way of characterizing it. It's and, and it's very subtle because a lot of metal bands can get a groove and it sounds fine. A lot of metal bands can get a um, a funky note in there or like a uh, mm-hmm. like a southern vibe and it sounds fine. You know, Danzig is, is you know, I mean, he's kind of more in punk, but like he's somebody that I would say is sort of like a good example of how to do sort of a, a southern style of rock and metal that sounds good, right? Because his voice is sounds kind of like Elvis or or that sort of a more crooner style of singer, right? Yeah, it's got a... I think you're right. There's some kind of melody to the voice that's very particular to the southern style of singing. But, but James Hetfield, when he does it, it doesn't sound like a good incarnation of southern rock. It sounds like somebody's making fun of southern rock or like you know right. what i mean it's, it's it like does. a parody it's southern rock i think like queen's clearwater revival or someone like that and again there's a particular way that you sing the the, the vocals in credence are extremely specific like you can't do that with different vocals almost you have to have very very kind of you know so the second you get a guy who's almost like the voice of metal in a lot of ways like him and like you said ozzy osbourne's another guy who's kind of the voice of metal but like and and halford was another one we yeah, put in there. but like you get someone like that singing it, and you're right; it's so discordant. It sounds like a parody. Yeah, yeah, and and also it's because of the guttural nature of it. They already sound Muppet-like, and it's the evil that's tethering them. Do you know what I mean? Like, like the like like metal always is supposed to be kind of dark and evil, right? Like that's sort of where its aesthetic yeah. center it, lies. And if you got Ozzy Osbourne, if you literally had a purple Muppet doing Ozzy Osbourne's vocals, it would not be discordant even the slightest. He yeah. sounds like a cartoon. Yeah. You're right. It's about the attitude that metal has that allows it to get away with those weird risks. So once you start making it more, I don't know, like the stuff Load was going for, it just, I don't know, it just falls apart for me. Um, mm. It just doesn't sound right. Something sounds way off. And, and a lot of metal, by the way, in the 90s sounded that way because a lot of metal was trying to emulate the grunge thing that was going on. Yeah, in the 90s, I would listen to grunge. There was yeah. a lot of good grunge bands. Oh, it was I, like, I, obviously, it was Bush and Pearl Jam. And... I was a militant non-grunge guy in the 90s. Yeah, like, all the way up to about 98. You can be as wrong as you want, Brendan. That's fine. I, I wasn't wrong. I was <laughs> I was right. This, the, this is now know. the episode where Brendan was wrong. You're going to market it that way. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. So, so here's what I'll say. I eventually came around to it because I eventually started dating somebody who was really into grunge stuff in like the late, late nineties. And I opened my mind. Do you know what I mean? But it was a, it was a dividing line because all the stuff that I liked went away when grunge came around. Do you know what I mean? And all the bands that I did like that remained were like throwing everything they could at the wall to see what stuck. And like so much of it was crap. Right. So there was such an apocalypse of music in the late nineties. Like even like, and I was a little kid when that stuff was going on, but the last good music I remember listening to was stuff like REM and then the new millennium just started eking into it. And like, there's not been a lot of good music. You know, what's so funny. It's... I actually was thankful for the new, like when things start, like when the nineties stuff died down, that's when I was actually kind of thankful. Um, Cause I actually don't mind. I, I listen to pop music. I don't mind pop music. Like I, 
Uh, it's just in the sphere of rock and stuff. I was, I was just not a grunge fan, and mm. you know, so but but grunge kind of died. What like ninety six or something? Yeah, it anyways. didn't last very long. Yeah, like it, it grew up around Nirvana and Pearl Jam and guys like that, and then as soon as they, I mean, the Nirvana fell apart, as I recall. Kurt Cobain died, and then like as soon as like Pearl Jam started shifting styles, then there really wasn't much left of grunge. Well, and also, I mean, I remember there was like a swing move, like there was swing, and then there was ska, or I don't know, maybe it was a reverse. Yeah, ska popped up for a while. What the hell happened there? Well, I think what happened was they were just trying to find the next big wave because grunge was so huge, and they didn't know what to do, and so they were throwing all these different things out there. Um, but by the time by the time two thousand rolled around, I was already starting to get a little bit old, right? Like, I mean, not old. I was like in my twenties, but I was just starting to just, like I was starting to mellow and listen more to pop or twenty year old. Yeah, yeah so you get by, to that point where you stop taking music so seriously as a, an element of your identity, and your well, tastes might improve. Well, no. So here's what I should say: when I was when I was a kid, when I was young, I was a musician, right? I was in a band. And I was I played guitar, and I, mm-hmm. I, I I I had a guitar teacher, and the guitar teacher was very good at getting me to sort of break through and listen to different things. And so he started me mm-hmm. out listening to classical and stuff like that. And so I was always listening to other types of music, but mm-hmm. pop was sort of off limits. Grunge was kind of off limits because of the cultural lines between metal and those styles, um, but but eventually, yeah, you just kind of realize that the, that you know it's sort of a stupid thing. Like like I'm not listening to this because there isn't a sufficient amount of dis- distorted guitar. Is a really stupid reason yeah. to not listen to. Something. Well, when you start putting lines down like that, you realize how silly that you're acting. And but anyway, I but think also, this is a good point to. To mention that if you're enjoying this podcast, you should go listen to the other one because it's this for two hours. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I would, I would agree with what what Joel says. It's, it's, it's me, and it's Jim Pinto who's got even stronger opinions than me on these kind of topics. So, a nice voice for the record. It's really fun to listen to. Yeah, no, yeah, Jim, Jim, Jim has a very good voice for these kinds of shows. That's I, I've been, I've been listening to Jim. He's on um, the Grumpy Old Gamer podcast now, but I've been listening to him since the the um gms podcast days and i that's definitely the case with him he's he's got a good what this is this is our sellout episode we're selling out this is great look at all this other stuff we're doing give us your money (laughs) so so anyways on that note i guess i'll 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 sign off now before we go into some other unexpected topic but this is what happens when we don't edit this is the beauty of not editing a show is it can go in any direction and we covered about eight different things over the course of this show so yeah like a pair of bosses so if if you want a more focused discussion of finger of doom you will be able to get one on friday when we do wushu weekend because uh dion will definitely keep us focused so uh you know this these shows are my time to just kind of veer off in any old direction i want to go but uh fridays we're usually a little more disciplined um so yeah so so join us on friday Join us next time when me and Joel talk about Journey of the Doomed. And I promise you that is going to be a very focused discussion because you cannot watch Journey of the Doomed and, and talk about anything but Journey of the Doomed, I think. It's going to be the whooshy the room. It's yeah. going to happen. I'm, I'm all on board. And I just want to say to people, I don't want folks to think that because we were all over the map that this that that's a reflection of the movie that we're covering today. The movie we're covering today was great. Go watch it. It's going to be hard to get. You're going to have to get it on VCD. Maybe if you're lucky, you can find it on DVD somewhere. I've never been able to, so I don't think so. Um, yeah, it's it's hard to get your hands on. 
Now, I do want to echo that sentiment. This movie was really cool. Um, I, I think that, unfortunately, what you're seeing isn't so much a reflection of the movie's impact, so much as it's just how scattered and undisciplined we naturally are. Yeah. So, <laughs> so anyways, we will see you guys next show, and join us this Friday for Usha Weekend.